Chapter Fourteen of the Little Colonel at Boarding School. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Little Colonel at Boarding School by Annie Fellows Johnston. Chapter Fourteen: The Three Weavers. No better cure could have been found for Lloyd's dejection than her visit to the beaches it was impossible for her to brood over her troubles while allison and kitty were continually saying funny things and rushing her from one interesting game to another after a good night's sleep the events of the previous day seemed so far away that what she had considered such a disgrace had somehow lost its sting and she wondered how she could have suffered so keenly over it katie millard came over soon after breakfast and they spent nearly the entire day outdoors the air was frosty and bracing, and when Mrs. Walton saw them come running into the house just before sundown, with bright eyes and red cheeks, she felt well pleased with the success of her plan. She was sitting in a room by a front window, writing letters when the girls came rushing up the stairs into the adjoining room. Kitty carried a basket of apples and Allison some popcorn in the popper and presently an appetizing odor began to steal in as the white grains danced over the open fire as the girls hovered hungrily around waiting for the popping to cease they began a lively discussion which caught mrs walton's attention she paused pen in hand at the mention of two names daisy dale and the heiress of dorn they were familiar names for only the day before miss edith had showed her the pile of books found in ida's closet and she was waiting for a suitable time to speak of them to the girls as she folded her letter and addressed it she decided she would call them in a little later when they were through with all their apples and their corn for a quiet little twilight talk a golden afterglow gleamed above the western tree-tops and leaning back in her rocking-chair she sat watching it fade out so absorbed in a story she was thinking to tell them that she ceased to hear the girlish chatter in the next room till lloyd's voice rang out clearly i've made up my mind i'm never going to get married then you'll be an old maid was kitty's teasing rejoinder and people will poke fun at you and your cats and teacups i'll not have any was the prompt reply i never expect to have any more pets of any kind whenever i get to loving anything something always happens to it think of all the pets we have had at locust fritz and the two bobs and boots and the gobbler and the goat and the parrot and dear old hero something happened to every one of them the ponies are the only things left and the only kind of pet i'd ever have again if tar baby should die i'd buy me a horse for i don't expect to be the kind of an old maid that sits in a chimney corner with a tabby and a teapot i expect to dash around the country on horseback and have fun even when i'm old and wrinkled and gray i'll go to college of course and i'll have interesting people to visit me so that i'll keep up my interest in the world and not get cranky i'll come and live with you said allison i'll have a studio and devote my life to making a great artist of myself we could buy tanglewood and make a moat all around the house so that we could pull up the drawbridge when we wanted to be alone or were afraid of burglars maybe it would be better for me to be an old maid too said betty musingly i'd have more time to write books than if i had a husband and a family to look after 
and besides while i like to read about lovers and such things in stories it would make me feel dreadfully foolish to have any man fall on his knees to me and say the things that lord rockaby and guy said to daisy dale i don't even like to write those speeches when i'm in a room by myself i've tried lots of times and i've about decided to skip that part in my story i'll put some stars instead and begin a year had passed and gladys and eugene etc i was going to ask mother how papa jack did it said lloyd but after all that's happened somehow i'd rather not say anything about such things to older people miss mccannister was so horrified when she found we had talked such sentimental foolishness as she called it i'll never forget the way she screwed up her lips and said it wasn't considered proper when i was a child for little girls to discuss such subjects i felt as if i'd been caught doing something wicked it mortified me dreadfully and i made up my mind that i'd never get to be fond of anybody the way ida was for fear i might be mistaken in them as she was everything seems to be a warning lately said betty even the literature lessons this week if the lady of shalott hadn't left her weaving to look out of the window when sir lancelot rode by the curse wouldn't have come upon her there cried allison scrambling to her feet that reminds me that i haven't learned the verses that miss edith asked us to memorize for monday she took a worn copy of tennyson from the table and began rapidly turning the leaves i learned the whole thing yesterday said betty i can say every word of part first it's easy remarked kitty i know part of it although i'm not in the class i learned it from hearing allison read it four gray walls and four gray towers overlook a space of flowers and the silent isle embowers the lady of shalott isn't that right yes but that isn't monday's lesson it's part second we have to learn let's all learn it proposed katie it's so pretty and jingles along so easily i'd like to know it too you line it out allison as fraser does the hymns at the colored baptizings and we'll run a race and see who can repeat it first there she weaves by night and day read allison and then the five voices gabbled it all together there she weaves by night and day the concert recitation went on for some time and presently the lines of the familiar old poem began weaving themselves into the story mrs walton was thinking about the red gold of the afterglow had not entirely faded from the sky when she left her seat by the window and went into the next room the five girls on the hearthrug were still chanting the lesson over and over come here and say it mother called kitty drawing up a chair for her betty learned it first allison deposited the bowl of popcorn in her lap and passed her the basket of apples and then flourished the popper like a drum major's baton now all together she cried and the five voices rang out like one there she weaves by night and day a magic web with colors gay she has heard a whisper say a curse is on her if she stay to look down to camelot she knows not what the curse may be and so she weaveth steadily and little other care hath she the lady of shalott and moving through a mirror clear that hangs before her all the year shadows of the world appear there she sees the highway near wending down to camelot 
there the river eddy whirls and the surly village churls and the red cloaks of market girls pass onward from shalott sometime a troop of damsels glad an abbot on an ambling pad sometimes a curly shepherd lad or long-haired page in crimson clad goes by to camelot and sometimes through the mirror blue the knights come riding two by two she hath no loyal knight and true the lady of shalott why she was an old maid wasn't she said katie so plaintively as they finished that they all laughed that's what allison and betty and lloyd are going to be mother said kitty teasingly lloyd with a very red face hastened to change the subject she snuggled up against mrs walton's knee saying as she looked into the glowing fire this is the best time of the day when the wind goes woo in the chimney and it's cold and dark outdoors and cheerful and bright inside it's just the time for story-telling don't you know one mrs walton of course she does kitty answered for her and if you don't know one you can make one up to order can't you mamsie your poem suggested a story answered mrs walton and with one hand soothing lloyd's fair head as it rested against her knee and the other stroking kitty's dark one in her lap she began once upon a time the same time that the lady of shalott wove her magic web and near the four gray towers from which she watched the road running down to camelot there lived three weavers their houses stood side by side and such had been their equal fortunes that whatever happened under the roof of one had always happened under the roofs of the others they wove the same patterns in their looms and they received the same number of shillings for their webs they sang the same songs told the same tales ate the same kind of broth from the same kind of bowls and dressed in the same coarse goods of hodden gray but they were unlike as three weavers could possibly be the first insisted on weaving all his webs a certain length regardless of the size of the man who must wear the mantle each web was supposed to be just long enough to make one mantle the second carelessly wove his any length that happened to be convenient and stretched or cut it afterward to fit whomsoever would take it but the third with great painstaking and care measured first the man and then the web by the inches and ells of his carefully notched yardstick now to each weaver was born a daughter all on the same day and they named them hertha huberta and hildegard on the night after the christening as the three men sat smoking their pipes on the same stoop the father of hertha said do not think me puffed up with unseemly pride good neighbors but wonderful fortune hath befallen me and mine this day clotho the good fairy of all the weavers was present at my hertha's christening and left beside her cradle a gift a tiny loom that from beam to shuttle is of purest gold and she whispered to me in passing good fortune hath old it is written in the stars that a royal prince shall seek to wed thy child but herthold's news caused no astonishment to his neighbors what had happened under the roof of one had happened under the roofs of all and the same good fortune was written in the stars for each and the same gift had been left by each child's cradle so the three friends rejoiced together and boasted jestingly among themselves of the three kings sons who would some day sit down at their tables 
but presently hildgardmar the father of hildegard said but there may be a slip twixt cup and lip mayhap our daughters cannot fulfil the required condition at that they looked grave for a moment for clotho had added in passing one thing is necessary she must weave upon this loom i leave a royal mantle for the prince's wearing it must be ample and fair to look upon rich cloth of gold of princely size and texture many will come to claim it but if it is woven rightly the destined prince alone can wear it and him it will fit in all faultlessness as the falcon's feathers fit the falcon but if it should not be ample and fine meet for royal wearing the prince will not deign to don it and the maiden's heart shall break as broke the shattered mirror of the lady of shalott oh well said herthold when the three had smoked in silence a little space i'll guard against that i shall hide all knowledge of the magic loom from my daughter until she be grown then under mine own eye by mine own measurements that i always use shall she weave the goodly garment in the meantime she shall learn all the arts which become a princess to know broidery and fair needlework and songs upon a lute but of the weaving she shall know not until she be grown that i am determined upon tis sorry work her childish hands would make of it if left to throw the shuttle at a maiden's fickle fancy but hubert shook his head why stew about a trifle he exclaimed forsooth on such a tiny loom no web of any kind can well be woven tis but a toy that clotho left the child to play with and she shall weave her dreams and fancies on it at her own sweet will i shall not interfere what's written in the stars is written and not that i can do will change it away friend hildgardmar with thy forebodings hildgardmar said nothing in reply but thought much he followed the example of the others and early and late might have been heard the pounding of the three looms for there was need to work harder than ever now that the little maidens might have teachers for all the arts becoming a princess broidery and fair needlework and songs upon the lute while the looms pounded in the dwellings the little maidens grew apace they played together in the same garden and learned from the same skilled teachers their daily lessons and in their fondness for each other were as three sisters one day huberta said to the others come with me and i will show you a beautiful toy that clotho left me at my christening my father says she gave one to each of us and that it is written in the stars that we are each to wed a prince if we can weave for him an ample cloak of cloth of gold already i have begun to weave mine all silently for fear of watchful eyes and forbidding voices they stole into an inner room and she showed them the loom of gold but now no longer was it the tiny toy that had been left beside her cradle it had grown with her growth for every inch that had been added to her stature an inch had been added to the looms the warp was clotho's gift all thread of gold and it too grew with the maiden's growth but the thread the shuttle carried was of her own spinning rainbow-hued and rose-colored from the airy dream fleece of her own sweet fancies see she whispered i have begun the mantle for my prince's wearing seizing the shuttle as she had seen her father do so many times 
she crossed the golden warp with the woof thread of a rosy daydream hertha and hildegard looked on in silent envy not so much for the loom as for the mirror which hung beside it wherein as in the lady of shallot's moved the shadows of the world the same pictures that flitted across hers flitted across hubertas see she cried again pointing to the mirror that curly shepherd lad does he not look like a prince as he strides by with his head high and his blue eyes smiling upon the world he carries his crook like a royal sceptre forsooth well you may believe i am always at my mirror both at sunrise and sunset to see him pass gaily by yon long-haired page and crimson clad is more to my liking said hertha timidly methinks he has a noble mien, as of one brought up in palaces i wonder why my father has never said aught to me of clotho's gift i too should be at my weaving for i am as old as thou huberta and i also added hildegard ask him quoth huberta mayhap he hath forgot so when hertha reached home she went to her father herthold and said timidly with downcast eyes and blushes father where is my loom like huberta's i too would be weaving as it is written in the stars but hertha glowered upon her grimly who told thee of aught that is written in the stars he demanded so sternly that her heart quaked within her hear me never again must thou listen to such idle tales when thou art a woman grown thou mayest come to me and i may talk to thee then of webs and weaving but what hast thou to do with such things now thou a silly child bah i am ashamed that ever a daughter of mine should think such foolishness hertha shamed and abashed stole away to weep that she had incurred her father's scorn but next day when they played in the garden huberta said thy father is an old tyrant to forbid thee the use of clotho's gift he cannot love thee as mine does me or be would not deny thee such a pleasure come i will help thee to find it so hand in hand they stole into an inner room by a door that herthold thought securely bolted and there stood a loom like huberta's and over it a mirror in which the same shadows of the world were repeated in passing and as hertha picked up the shuttle to send the thread of a rosy daydream through the warp of gold the long-haired page in crimson clad passed down the street outside and she saw his image in the mirror how like a prince he bears himself i she murmured my father is indeed a tyrant to deny me the pleasure of looking out upon the world and weaving sweet fancies about it henceforth i shall not obey him but shall daily steal away in here to weave in secret what he will not allow me to do openly at the same time hildegard stood before her father saying timidly is it true my father what huberta says is written in the stars to-day when i saw huberta's loom i pushed back the bolt which has always barred the door leading into an inner room from mine and there i found the loom of gold and a wonderful mirror i fain would use them as huberta does but i have come to ask thee first if all be well a very tender smile lighted the face of old hildgardmar taking the hand of little hildegard in his he led the way into the inner room 
i have often looked forward to this day my little one he exclaimed although i did not think thou wouldst come quite so soon with thy questions it is indeed true what huberta has told thee is written in the stars on the right weaving of this web depends the happiness of all thy future and not only thine but of those who may come after thee tis a dangerous gift the good clotho left thee for looking in that mirror thou wilt be tempted to weave thy web to fit the shifting figures that flit therein but listen to thy father who hath never yet deceived thee and who has only thy good at heart keep always by thy side this sterling yardstick which i give thee for it marks the inches and the ells to which the stature of a prince must measure not until the web-cloth fully equal it can it be safely taken from the loom thou art so young tis but a little mantle thou couldst weave this year at best fit but to clothe the shoulders of yon curly shepherd lad he pointed to the bright reflection passing in the mirror but tis a magic loom that lengthens with thy growth and each year shall the web grow longer until at last a woman grown thou canst hold it up against the yardstick and find that it doth measure to the last inch and ell the size demanded by a prince's noble stature but thou wilt oft be dazzled by the mere sights and use will come to thee one by one each begging give me the royal mantle hildegard i am the prince the stars have destined for thee and with honeyed words he'll show thee how the mantle in the loom is just the length to fit his shoulders but let him not persuade thee to cut it loose and give it to him as thy young fingers will be fain to do weave on another year and yet another till thou a woman grown canst measure out a perfect web more ample than these stripling youths could carry but which will fit thy prince in faultlessness as falcon's feathers fit the falcon hildegard awed by his solemn words of warning took the silver yardstick and hung it by the mirror and standing before old hildgardmar with bowed head said you may trust me father i will not cut the golden warp from out the loom until i a woman grown have woven such a web as thou thyself shalt say is worthy of a prince's wearing so hildgardmar left her with his blessing and went back to his work after that the winter followed the autumn and the summer the spring many times and the children played in the garden and learned their lessons of broidery and fair needlework and songs upon the lute and every day each stole away to the inner room and threw the shuttle in and out among the threads of gold hertha worked always in secret peering ever in the mirror lest perchance the long-haired page in crimson clad should slip by and she not see him for the sheen of his fair hair dazzled her to all other sights and his face was all she thought of by day and dreamed of by night so that she often forgot to ply her needle or finger her lute he was only a page but she called him prince in her thoughts until she really believed him one when she worked at the web she sang to herself it is for him for him huberta laughed openly about her web and her father often teased her about the one for whom it was intended saying when the village lads went by is that thy prince or is it for this one thou weavest but he never went with her into that inner room so he never knew whether the weaving was done well or ill and he never knew that she cut the web of one year's weaving and gave it to the curly shepherd lad 
he wore it with jaunty grace at first and huberta spent long hours at the mirror watching to see him pass by all wrapped within its folds but it grew tarnished after a while from his long tramps over the dirty moors after his flocks and huberta saw other figures in the mirror which pleased her fancy and she began another web and that she gave to a student in cap and gown and the next to a troubadour strolling past her window and the next to a knight in armour who rode by one idle summer day the years went by she scattering her favours to whomsoever called her sweetheart with vows of devotion and hertha faithful to the page alone hildegard worked on true to her promise but there came a time when a face shone across her mirror so noble and fair that she started back in a flutter oh surely tis he she whispered to her father his eyes are so blue they fill all my dreams but old hildgardmar answered her does he measure up to the standard set by the sterling yardstick for a full-grown prince to be no she answered sadly only to the measure of an ordinary man but see how perfectly the mantle i have woven would fit him nay weave on then he said kindly thou hast not yet reached the best thou canst do this is not the one written for thee in the stars a long time after a knight flashed across the mirror blue a knight like sir lancelot high broad clear brow and sunlight glowed on burnished hooves his war-horse trade from underneath his helmet flowed his coal-black curls as on he rode as he rode down to camelot so noble he was that she felt sure that he was the one destined to wear her mantle and she went to her father saying he has asked for the robe and measured by thy own sterling yardstick it would fit him in faultlessness as the falcon's feathers fit the falcon hildgardmar laid the yardstick against the web nay he said this is only the size of a knight it lacks the handbreadth yet of the measure of a prince hildegard hesitated half pouting till he said beseechingly i am an old man knowing far more of the world and its ways than thou my daughter have i ever deceived thee have i ever had aught but thy good at heart have patience a little longer another year and thou wilt be able to fashion a still larger web at last it came to pass as it was written in the stars a prince came riding by to ask for hertha as his bride old herthold taking her by the hand said now i will lead thee into the inner room and teach thee how to use the fairy's sacred gift with me for a teacher thou canst surely make no mistake when they came into the inner room there stood only the empty loom from which the golden warp had been clipped how now he demanded angrily hertha braving his ill-humour said defiantly thou art too late because i feared thy scorn of what thou wast pleased to call my childish foolishness i wove in secret and when my prince came by long ago i gave it him he stands outside at the casement the astonished herthold turning in a rage saw the long-haired page clad in the mantle which she had woven in secret he tore it angrily from the youth and demanded she should give it to the prince who waited to claim it but the prince would have none of it it was of too small a fashion to fit his royal shoulders and had been defiled by the wearing of a common page so with one look of disdain he rode away 
stripped of the robe her own fancy had woven round him the page stood shorn before her it was as if a veil had been torn from her eyes and she no longer saw him as her fond dreams had painted him she saw him in all his unworthiness and the cloth of gold which was her maiden love and the rosy daydreams she had woven into it to make the mantle of a high ideal lay in tattered shreds at her feet when she looked from the one to the other and saw the mistakes she had made and the opportunities she had lost she covered her face with her hands and cried out to herthold it is thy fault thou shouldst not have laughed my childish question to scorn and driven me to weave in ignorance and in secret but all her upbraiding was too late as it was written in the stars her heart broke as broke the shattered mirror of the lady of shalott that same day came a prince to hubert asking for his daughter he called her from the garden saying gaily bring forth the mantle now huberta surely it must be a goodly one after all these years of weaving at thy own sweet will she brought it forth but when he saw it he started back aghast at its pygmy size when he demanded the reason she confessed with tears that she had no more of the golden warp that was clotho's sacred gift she had squandered that maiden love in the bygone years to make the mantles she had so thoughtlessly bestowed upon the shepherd lad and the troubadour the student and the knight this was all she had left to give well said her father at length tis only what many another has done in the wanton foolishness of youth but perchance when the prince sees how fair thou art and how sweetly thou dost sing to thy lute he may overlook the paltriness of thy offering take it to him when she had laid it before him he cast only one glance at it so small it was so meagre of gold thread so unmeet for a true prince's wearing then he looked sorrowfully into the depths of her beautiful eyes and turned away the gaze burned into her very soul and revealed to her all that she had lost for evermore she cried out to her father with pitiful sobs that set his heart-strings in a quiver it is thy fault why dost thou not warn me what a precious gift was the gold warp clotho gave me why dost thou say to me is this the lad is that the lad till i looked only at the village churls and wove my web to fit their unworthy shoulders and forgot how high is the stature of a perfect prince then hiding her face she fled away and as it was written in the stars her heart broke as broke the shattered mirror of the lady of shalott then came the prince to hildegard all blushing in a flutter she clipped the threads and held the golden web of her maiden love through which ran all her happy girlish daydreams and let him take it from her glancing shyly up she saw that it fitted him in all faultlessness as the falcon's feathers fit the falcon then old hildgardmar stretching out his hand said because even in childhood days thou ever kept in view the sterling yardstick as i bade thee because no single strand of all the golden warp that clotho gave thee was squandered on another because thou waitest till thy woman's fingers wrought the best that lay within thy woman's heart all happiness shall now be thine receive it as thy perfect crown so with her father's blessing light upon her she rode away beside the prince and ever after all her life was crowned with happiness as it had been written for her in the stars there was a moment's silence when mrs walton ceased speaking 
the fire had died down until only a fitful glimmer lighted the thoughtful faces of the girls grouped around her on the hearthrug then kitty said impulsively of course hertha means ida and you want us all to be hildegards but who is huberta mitty dupong of course answered allison and flynn willis and cad bailey and all that set we were so disgusted with at carter brown's party didn't you mean them mother yes said mrs walton well pleased that the tale had been interpreted so quickly i must confess that i told the story solely for the moral i wanted to tack on to the end of it you do not know how my heart has ached for ida poor misguided child from what i have heard of her aunt i think she must be like hertha's father and made ida feel that she had no sympathy with her childish love affairs then ida made the mistake that hertha did wove her ideals in secret and fitted them on the first boy who pleased her fancy once wrapped in them she was blind to all his faults and could not judge him as other people did she made a hero of him i blame her aunt as much as i do her because she did not teach her long ago as hildgardmar did his daughter little girls begin very early sometimes to dream about that faraway land of romance the teasing questions older people ask them often set them to thinking seriously of it they call their little playmates their sweethearts and imagine the admiration and fondness they have for them as the love that is written in the stars nobody explains to them that they will outgrow their early ideals as they do their dresses i can remember how my ideals used to change when i was a little girl about as old as elise i thought that my prince charming would be like the one in the story of the sleeping beauty i dreamed of sitting all day beside him on a crystal throne with a crown on my head and a sceptre in my hand but as i grew older i realized how stupid that would be and i fashioned him after the figures that flitted across my mirror of the world of books he was as handsome as a greek god and the feats he performed could have been possible only in the days of the round table then i outgrew that ideal others took its place but when a woman grown i held up the one that was the best my woman's heart could fashion i found that my prince measured just to the stature of an honest man simple and earnest and true that was all no greek god no dashing knight but a strong manly man whose love was my life's crown of happiness she glanced up at the portrait over the mantel and there was an impressive pause lloyd broke the silence presently speaking very fast in an embarrassed sort of way but mrs walton don't you think there was some excuse for ida besides her being blinded to mr banion's faults he made her believe she had such a good influence over him that she thought it was her duty to disobey her aunt because it was more important that he should be reformed than she should be obeyed in a matter that seemed unreasonable to ida yes was the hesitating answer but ida was largely influenced to take that stand by the books she had been reading that's another matter i want to speak about since my little girls have confessed to reading of daisy dale and the heiress of dorn while there is nothing particularly objectionable in such books in one way in another their influence is of the very worst the characters are either unreal or overdrawn or they are so interestingly colored that they are like the figures of the shepherd lad and the long-haired page in the mirrors of hertha and huberta 
in watching them a girl is apt to weave her web to fit their unworthy shoulders and forget how high the stature of a perfect prince such books are poor yardsticks and give one false ideas of value and measurement ned's plea is what nearly every wild young fellow makes and nine times out of ten it appeals to a girl more than any other argument he could use give me the mantle hildegard it will help me to live right so she takes him in hand to reform him nothing could be purer and higher than the motives which prompt her to sacrifice everything to what she considers her duty i had a schoolmaster once who married a bright young fellow because he came to her with ned's plea her father said let him reform first what he will not do for a sweetheart he will never do for a wife but she would not listen and to-day she is living in abject poverty and cruel unhappiness he is rarely sober in olden times a man didn't come whining to a maiden and say i long to be a knight but i am too weak to do battle unaided be my lady fair and help me win my spurs no she would have laughed him to scorn he won his spurs first and only after he had proved himself worthy and received his accolade did she give him her hand oh my dear girls if you would only do as hildegard did ask first if all be well before you clip the golden web from the loom and give it to the one who begs for it he is not the one written for you in the stars he does not measure to the stature of a true prince if he comes with such a selfish demand as ned did that is a story i'll never forget said lloyd soberly i think it ought to be printed and put in the seminary library for all the other girls to read and some of the fathers and mothers too added betty ida's aunt ought to have a copy no it's too late remarked katie it's a case of what grandpa would call locking the stable after the horse is stolen there was a knock at the door supper is served announced barbary's voice in the hall End of chapter 14. Recording by Linda Fredericks, Modesto, California, April 2012.